Previously, if you're a cloud developer, your day-to-day -day job looks like you're making some changes on your local machine, you push into the cloud, deploy the changes, uh, run a few tests, and then you see something breaks and you need to redeploy. You know, this cycle of deployment and testing is slowing developers down. So we have this local emulation where you can now literally run your serverless workloads, your Lambda functions on the local machine, just really speeding up the development cycles. You are listening to the Kubelist Podcast, a show interviewing project maintainers for open source projects with a focus on CNCF sandbox, incubating, and graduated projects. Hi, I'm Mark Campbell. Together with Benji DeGroot, we publish the Kubelist newsletter dedicated to Kubernetes and the CNCF ecosystem. I'm the founder and CTO at Replicated, where we enable software vendors such as HashiCorp, Puppet, Harness, and many others to operationalize and scale the distribution of their modern on-prem software. Check us out at replicated.com. Benji is the co-founder and CEO at Shipyard, where they enable teams of all sizes to build, test, and deploy faster and more reliably via their ephemeral environment management platform. Get started with ephemeral environments at shipyard.build. The Kubeless podcast is brought to you by Heavybit, the leading investor in developer-first startups. For more information, visit heavybit.com. If you're interested in being a guest on this show or you would like to suggest a project, find us on Twitter at readkubelist. Finally, sign up for the Kubelist newsletter and read previous issues at kubelist.com. On this episode of the Kubelist podcast, Benji and I were joined by Valdemar Humer from LocalStack to talk about their project, emulating and mocking AWS cloud infrastructure. Valdemir starts off by explaining the origins of LocalStack at Atlassian and explains what the project does. We spend a lot of time talking about the functionality and how LocalStack works to emulate 50 plus AWS services. There's some really cool stuff here, especially with the EKS emulation. We move on to talk about the V1 release of LocalStack and what's coming up. Valdemir has really been focused on solving this problem for a while now, and he has a lot to share. All right. As you just heard, uh, we have got Valdemir Humer with us today to talk about LocalStack. Valdemir is a CTO and co-founder at LocalStack. Uh, very excited to have you on. To get us started, Valdemir, I'd love to hear a little bit about your background, how you got started, kind of where LocalStack came from. But even before where LocalStack came from, just, just tell us about like the early parts of your career and kind of how you ended up here. Yeah, sure. Um, it's a pleasure to be here. Um, so I'm Waldemar. Um, I'm the um, CTO and co-founder of LocalStack. Um, so originally from Vienna, Austria. Started my um, sort of um, career in actually working in academia. So I did a PhD in computer science back in the day. I think it was 2014. I, I defended working on distributed systems, and cloud computing, and, and like the, the things that were coming up at, at the at the time. Then sort of decided not to continue that ac academia track and um, started a position at Atlassian. So um, worked for Atlassian in the data team. Um, actually relocated to um, to Australia and it was in back in I think 2015, 2016. Um, and that was also actually the first um, like the first lines of code of LocalStack were written at Atlassian. Um, so we had this use case of essentially, you know, developing uh, cloud applications. We wanted to make that more efficient. So we came up with this idea of you could actually emulate part of the AWS APIs on the local machine. And that would enable people to, you know, literally do things like develop their applications offline or while they are commuting on the train. So we kind of started back then as an open source project um, and then it was kind of growing over the years. I was kind of the core maintainer um, for the last couple of years. I was kind of treating as more as a side project, to be honest. So I've been uh, in different roles throughout my career since then. So I worked for, for IBM um, in, in, the, in the States for, for about two years, and then also at a large insurance company in Switzerland. And now basically... Um, the last year or so, we've, we've actually been um, like all in on local stack and really built the company and, and, and the team around it. Oh, that's really cool. So, so this really started off as like a side project. 
and uh, and then you 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 said about a year ago you went all in, and now you're developing it all the way. Um, by the way, we do have Mark here with me as always, and I'm Benji. I forgot to say that at the beginning there, uh, but always a pleasure to have Mark here. Hi, Mark. Hey, Benji. Okay, so tell us a little bit more, real quick. What is Local Stack? Give me a quick pitch. I am a developer at a let's call it fifty person company, and I'm looking at Local Stack. I do use AWS mm-hmm. because I'm one of the everybody. But just tell me a little bit about the pitch. What what is Local Stack? Yeah, so Local Stack is um, essentially, in a nutshell, it is a um, local cloud emulation platform. So, um, at its core, what we're doing is we're basically taking the um, the AWS APIs and we provide uh, an emulated, mocked version of that on the local machine, and that helps um, people, you know, actually speed up their development cycles quite dramatically, right? Because um, whereas previously, if you're a cloud developer. Basically, your your day to day job looks like you're making some changes on your local machine. You push them to the cloud, you know, deploy the changes, uh, run a few tests, and then you see something breaks and you need to redeploy. And kind of you know, this cycle of deployment and testing is becoming quite quite slow and slowing developers down. So we have this local emulation where you can now literally run like your serverless workloads, your Lambda functions, you know, DynamoDB tables, and all that on the local machine, just really, really speeding up the development cycles for cloud developers. So I have a question for you um, to, to kick us off here a little bit more, Valdemir. Like AWS has a lot of services. Like how broad of like an emulation layer are you providing with local stack? How many of these services are you able to like recreate? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, I think uh, right now we have something in the order of 55 to 60 services that are supported in local stack. The services have different degree of um, parity and sort of, you know, um, depth of support, I would say. Uh, so some services are really very well supported. For example, Lambda functions, DynamoDB, uh, and a few other like core services. We also have a few more exotic um, APIs. I don't know things like um, the big, the whole big data suite of Glue and Athena, or um, even some some database systems that you can spin up using local stack. And we, we tend to focus on sort of the core services that AWS um, provides. And then I think it's currently a, a suite of two hundred ish. And you know some of them are really pretty much out of scope, um, which we're not going to tackle in, in, in the foreseeable future. But we definitely uh, take a very put a strong focus on the core services that most people are, are using on a day-to-day basis. You mentioned that they're like mocks and emulations for, for dev environments. Mm-hmm. I'm curious how deep the emulation goes. Like, like if you look at you know DynamoDB or or S3, are they actually fully functioning databases or are they like mock endpoints that you're you're providing that allow like integration tests to complete? Yeah, so they are um, for the most part they're real sort of um, real endpoints that really mimic and replicate the internal logic of these real APIs. So one example is, is SQS, the simple queuing service uh, that, that Amazon provides, and we have a um, essentially almost 100% complete um, replica and emulation version of that. We also run what we call parity tests um, against AWS. So basically, you know, we have a set of integration tests that we first run against AWS, record the requests and responses, and then compare them against sort of running the requests against local stack as well. So that gives us pretty high um, sort of confidence and, and uh, in terms of the, like, achieving a high level of parity with the services. How do you stay on top of the changes that that Amazon's making, right? Like some of the services are relatively mature, so like the API is like the, the API for S three, right? Like as an example, not changing day to day, but like they're releasing new services. They do like change new functionality, and Amazon these are proprietary closed source services. They don't necessarily always have, you know, a lot of 
upfront notification that there's going to be a new version of the API available. So what, what, what tools and what methods do you use to stay on top of all that? Yeah, absolutely. So that's, um, that's a great question. And uh, generally speaking, so when we look at the, the evolution of, of LocalStack as a, as a platform, essentially the, the code base as it looks today is, is very different from sort of the early days when we just, you know, started, you know, emulating a few services here and there. So today we're much more systematic about, um, the approach of, of how things are tested, how we keep up to speed with the changes of AWS. So one thing that we're now doing increasingly is using the API specifications, um, that, uh, the service providers that AWS is publishing. And we work a lot with just auto-generated um, stubs of the service providers. And that also allows us to basically track the changes of the API specifications and then do things like automatically creating pull requests against our repositories to kind of regenerate the, um, the stubs and the, the service providers. So it's essentially um, a matter of being very very much based on what the specifications provide. And this is a very you know, rich um, information that we can leverage in terms of all the, the, the types, input, output messages and schemas. And when it comes to sort of the, um, the semantic um, inner workings of, of the service, so here we're really working with these things like parity testing and also leveraging um, frameworks, for example, like Terraform. So Terraform uh, is actually also something that we use in our own internal testing because uh, they have a very comprehensive uh, test suite for the AWS provider of Terraform. And we actually run that against LocalStack to see, again, like to increase the parity and, and get like very high fidelity of the services. Oh, that's cool. So like you're taking these, these tests that were made to test the actual upstream service and then using them to validate that like your, your mocks, your emulation layer still conforms to those tests. Exactly. Yeah, you mentioned the, this this concept of parity tests. Um, I'm just curious. Can you just pragmatically walk me through how how that runs and how you how you do those? Like, because that seems like a really interesting thing. It's, yeah, that's a it's actually a great um, innovation that was coming out um, out of the team in the last couple of months. So there's actually two levels of to to parity testing. One is that we basically write all our integration tests in a way that the SDK clients, like the clients that make the call to the AWS or the API essentially, they're very easy to exchange. So we can have, we can configure clients to run against local stack. We can configure all the clients to run against real AWS. What that basically means is we just run the integration tests twice, once against real AWS to make sure that the actual functionality is covered. And then we run the same tests against local stack and all the test assertions are in there and, and hopefully it's going to pass. So that's kind of the, the more simple version. An extended version of that is what we call snapshot testing, which is really sort of in addition to running it against the two systems, also takes very detailed snapshots of the responses and like records them in a, in a JSON file, basically. And then we make detailed comparison of, you know, are we actually returning the right data types? Um, are all the dates uh, and all the, you know, integer formats in the, in the correct form and so on? And obviously we need to do, you know, a bit of cleaning these, these, these snapshot files, things like auto-generated IDs and, and timestamps need to be we don't want to match against those, but essentially it gives us a very good um, mechanism to to compare the core parts of the responses and make sure that they're they have uh, good parity. That's super cool. And do you guys do that with um, what's your CI CD process look like for for building out local stack? Yeah, so we have it's a essentially currently um, 
utility is two monorepos. So we have uh, essentially the open source version, the community version of LocoStack, which is one large um, monorepo, um, which is basically the core platform, the core framework that does all the, the request um, parsing um, and has a lot of the, the core services. And then we have a second repository, which is basically our um, pro extensions, which is just a bunch of additional features, additional services that we support and we uh, provide to our pro users. And um, so the CI process is basically um, we have quite elaborate um, set of uh, integration tests that we run on, on, on every um, basically PR build. Um, we make sure that you know things that the pipeline is stable, and we try to eliminate flaky tests as much as we can. So we have a pretty stable pipeline at this stage. Uh, it runs for about forty-five minutes. It has all sorts of parallelization um, built in. We're actually building as part of the CI process a Docker image. So that's the, the core artifact or the way how we ship the, the software. Uh, so it's shipped as a Docker image and we built that for um, AMD64 and also ARM64. So it's a multi-arch Docker build. So also, for example, MacBooks, the M1, uh, M1 processors can, can use the latest um, ARM images. And yeah, so this is really, typically we, we just sort of push out the, the latest tag, which is really essentially the latest commit on master just gets, gets pushed out as the latest, uh, the latest Docker image. And then we have just a semantic versioning for, um, for, for, for any versioning, version to the coming. We're still at, um, zero verse. We're currently at 0.14.4, I believe, but we actually have some, some cool plans in the pipeline to release a, a 1.0 version pretty, pretty soon. Yeah. And then with the, the 1.0, you're going to like, you have the summer rules change a little bit and you actually like start to really focus on compatibility and, and ensuring that customers know what to expect when they're upgrading, right? Yeah, exactly. So, so this is something we've been putting a lot more emphasis on um, recently because we see that a lot of people are, so just to give you an idea, so, so the, the Docker image of LocoStack, um, so we keep track of some of the, the pull stats, is being pulled something around 200,000 times a day. So that's kind of the, the peak usage uh, of, of Docker pulls. Like we just see a lot of dependencies. Um, if things are breaking in LocoStack, then or we, if we introduce a, change, a breaking change, then immediately our issue tracker gets filled up with um, with requests, and and so we really try and be more, you know, have more stability and predictability in, in, in the changes and the versions that we that we push out. I want to go all the way back and talk about like the the origins of the project. You know, it's, it sounds like a cool project. We're going to dive a lot more into the technology and like and what the what the product does. But you mentioned you were on the data team at Atlassian, and that's where the first lines of code were written and it was created. Like, let's start there. Like you said, you wanted to like be able to have uh, developers. You wanted to be able to like write code and build stuff while you were on a train and completely disconnected from the internet. Yeah, so that's really sort of the, also a bit like the, the story that we, that we like to tell, kind of the, the origin of the project. And the interesting thing is that this, we get the validation of this use case, um, even today with a lot of customers, um, who have this exact use case. They just want to be able to iterate quickly locally or even develop, develop offline. But that was really the, um, the idea in the, in the early days. We were basically using a, a set of services like Kinesis streams and Lambda functions and, S3 buckets and, and a bunch of big data jobs to just crunch some data. Yeah, it was really kind of, um, it, it had a bit of a, the, the cost aspect to it as well, because, um, for example, if you want to run a very frequent CI build, um, then, you know, for example, Kinesis shards are paid by the hour. So whenever you, you, you trigger a build, it actually used the shard for uh, the Kinesis stream for maybe a couple of seconds, but you pay for one shard hour. At least that was the pricing back in the day. So the cost was one aspect, but then also just the, the, the convenience of, of having like a very reproducible 
local setup and the same for like before you push it out into CI and remote. And we really made it work um, with the local dev setup. We just had to run make install and it was just basically, you know, installing everything for you and then make tests and just could execute all the tests that were running uh, specifically for these data pipelines that we were uh, building back then and just all work locally. So that was the early days. Um, it was, again, like it was a very simple version at the, at the very beginning. So we also leveraged some existing uh, tools in the open source space. Um, so there was a few emulators already popping up at the time. And, and Locustack essentially built like a, some, some glue code in the framework around it to, to integrate the services. Because one of the things that was that is bringing a lot of value is, is the integration between the services. Um, so we already see out there some other projects, you know, they're building some, you know, um, isolated emulators for, for individual services. But what we bring to the table is also the integration where you can connect, I don't know, your SQS queue to a Lambda function, or you can put a file on S3 and that triggers some other SQS notification. Or, so it's really sort of the integration of the services that make it really powerful. Yeah, that's a good point. I, and it's definitely worth chatting about. Like, while all these individual services that AWS offers are are powerful by themselves, like they're rarely used isolated from each other. Like you have like the, these backend connections and they're like, you know, putting a file in S3 triggers like a Lambda function, the one you just described or whatever. And like having these individual services running in your dev environment doesn't do anything if you can't actually reproduce that behavior. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and that's really sort of also, I guess, where today... I would say if, if you look at that, that's more, I, I can't back this with actual data. So I'm just sort of, just as I'm thinking about the, the, the GitHub issues that are currently being raised, a lot of it is about either entire services missing um, or integrations between services. So I think that's definitely something where we, we put a lot of focus on and, and definitely sort of integrations are growing in the, in the AWS ecosystem, right? And it's actually quite amazing what you can already, already do today. One example is CloudFormation, which is a um, one of these APIs from, from AWS where you have a declarative specification of your resources, um, and then it, it basically creates uh, the stack for you. And, and one of the one of the concepts there is what they call custom resources. Um, so it's basically in your stack definition, you can actually call a Lambda function that has some custom logic that creates the resource and then returns the result back basically to the to the CloudFormation engine. And that's one of the integrations we were able to build because we had the CloudFormation engine, we had Lambda support, and we just needed to sort of connect them together. And now we have the full, you know, the full power of custom resources, which are very much, which are highly used in frameworks like the CDK, for example, the Cloud Development Kit. They, they're making heavy use of, um, of, of custom resources, and we basically get that essentially for free now, which is nice. Just to be clear, like these custom resources, that's an AWS feature. We're not talking about custom resources, CRDs in Kubernetes here right now. Yeah, exactly. So that's, I know that your audience is probably um, definitely sort of focused on, on, on Kubernetes. Yeah, so that's an AWS concept and uh, slightly different, yeah. But let's talk about Kubernetes. Um, does LocalStack work on Kubernetes? Yeah, so we have a uh, Helm chart that's mostly community maintained, so you can actually deploy uh, LocalStack on Kubernetes. There's a few limitations right now. Um, for example, our Lambda execution is pretty much sort of based on Docker. So we, we assume that we have access to the Docker socket and we can, we can spawn new containers. Um, we're in the process of introducing an abstraction layer that will sort of abstract away the, the spinning up of, of containers. And then we can basically just, you know, um, either use just the cube APIs to spin up a pod or even use things like Podman and, and other um, container frameworks. 
So yeah, it definitely deploys in the very basic version, um, but there's a few caveats. The other interesting thing is that Locustack can be used to, to spin up uh, Kubernetes clusters. So we have EKS as, a, as an emulation in Locustack. And for that, we actually provide two modes. One is just the mocking mode, which basically just pretends that the resources get created, which is useful if you're developing a, uh, I guess, the control plane for some, for some infrastructure where you're provisioning some, some, uh, some clusters. Uh, and the actual emulation mode, which, which really spins up uh, essentially a K3D on the local machine, and then you can deploy your, your workloads. So that's also supported. That's super cool. So you can emulate EKS by spinning up K3D. Do you start to be able to like play around with things like manage node groups and things like this? So you can actually, you know, like my SRE team can evaluate what, what it's going to be like to operate some of that equipment? Yes, yeah, so we're definitely um, definitely venturing in that direction. Um, there is still a few limitations. I mean, we've built a couple of nice integrations. For example, you can from your EKS cluster, you can spin up uh, pods that pull images from the local ECR registry where you push your, your images to. We had to do a bit of networking magic to basically make K3D talk to the other Docker container, which is hosting the, the image registry. So that integration already works nicely. Node groups themselves are something that we're still sort of evaluating and working on. And also things like, like Ingress, for example, works, works a bit differently than, than in real AWS. Like anything that has a, um, a public endpoint, um, we obviously need to do some, some tricks to make that work locally as well with some, some, some wildcard domain names and so on. But yeah, so definitely something we would be super, you know, excited to explore more and, and get your feedback on. Okay. Hold on. Hold on. Everyone back up a second here. I want to make sure I understand this because this is cool. Um, and this is definitely cloud native. So if I want to use and emulate my EKS locally, Okay, so I'm a developer and I'm like, I'm using EKS, I'm developing something. I can actually use LocalStack itself to create an EKS Kubernetes cluster locally. So, okay, so this is super meta here, but I can develop on EKS inside my local stack from my local machine and I've got basically the control plane and everything I want. Is that correct? Yes, that is that is spot on. So, um, in fact, we had recently had a chat. We did a webinar with um, one of the core maintainers of the AWS um, Terraform modules. So that's a, a community project that uh, Anton Babenko and a few others are maintaining. And one of the use cases they had, they had a, have a very like complex um, Terraform module for EKS, and they run it through their pipeline, and it takes. I'm not exaggerating. I think it, at least 15 to 20 minutes, probably just an hour sometimes, to get this this module tested. And we're now thinking about getting basically the local stack EKS emulation into the RCI pipeline, which will dramatically speed up the the entire sort of test cycles for for the EKS module. But yeah, so spot on what you just said. You can run your EKS workloads with the control plane and all locally. Okay, this is this is too cool. Yeah. I have to say, like local stack totally makes sense. I to- I completely get the idea. You know, like great. Well, you know, we- I have a team of engineers that are like, and we use S three, we use SQS, we use some Amazon services, and we have shared environments that we're debbing on. And you know, we don't want to manage actual access keys and secrets, and also the cost. But also just like sharing resources is generally hard inside dev environments because somebody wants to upgrade it and it breaks other ones. But you know, the 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 ability to get in and like actually emulate EKS in a functioning environment, you know, for, for folks who are working, building Kubernetes tools, building tools for developers that rely on Kubernetes, it opens up like a path that just really has been really, really difficult to dev on before. Yeah. 
especially iteration time. I just can't say enough how exciting that is to me because this iterating on Kubernetes and stuff like that just takes so long. I know you just use that example, the Terraform module, but I just have to come over the top and say that's really super cool. Yeah. And we're obviously like standing on the shoulders of giants here, right? So we, we, we were leveraging K3D, which is a, just a fantastic project and which is do essentially a lot of the wiring around it and just make sure that it's compatible with the EKS APIs. But also, frankly, there's just a lot of great tooling already in the, in the EKS or in the Cube uh, ecosystem that we can leverage, which is also fantastic. So, I mean, this brings up a bigger question around local stack that I want to understand. So each one of these mocks are, and they're not exactly mocks, they're kind of like functional mocks, or I don't know the right way to put them. Mm-hmm. Um, but let, let's take a simple example. So I, uh, at Shipyard, we use RDS. So I want to use local, and RDS talks to my S3, let's just call it. Mm-hmm. And I want to use my local stack uh, version locally to, to dev on this stuff. When I'm actually hitting the RDS API, is that just a Postgres, well, let's say it's a RDS Postgres. Is that a Postgres container? And for Kinesis or for Redshift or whatever, like, let's just get a little specific. Like, how are you actually doing this for each one of these like cool services? Maybe don't go through every, all 50 of them, but give, <laughs> give, give me a few highlights here. Yeah, definitely. Um, so the majority of services are literally running in the, the main local stack containers. We have one Docker container, which hosts essentially does all the, the request processing. You know, we have one, we call it the, the gateway or the, the edge port, which is port 4566. And all the requests are going through that port. And we do the, you know, the, the, the route, um, the parsing and dispatching of the request. And then it gets forwarded to the services. The services are predominantly written in Python. So there's one um, Python process running in, in the container. And then we're using some external processes for different services. For example, for DynamoDB, we use an external um, jar file in, in a JVM, right? So we spin that up um, and basically the Python process talks to the to a JVM process. For things like what you mentioned, Postgres, um, there's actually different ways we can we can do this. Either we spin up the, the Postgres container or we actually install some Debian packages into the into the container with uh, with just APT. And um, yeah, so if, if users just want to have one of the, the, the major versions that are supported in, 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 the, in the package manager, we can use those. And there's a few examples where we spin up external um, containers. One is, for example, Airflow. So there's the managed Airflow service in, 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 in AWS. It's one of the more exotic services, but still a couple of our users are using it. And that really spins up just the, the Airflow Docker container, and we do the, the wiring with the, with the request forwarding, basically. So there's, there's different ways how the services um, are deployed, and also they have different mechanisms for things like uh, persistence, for example. We can maybe talk about that in, 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 uh, separately, but um, there's like persistence is, is something that is um, also supported for the service, but there's different mechanisms how we do it. So I have a question for you about all of that. So like what I do on a day-to-day basis, like, you know, my company, um, we help folks ship on-prem versions of their software, right? Like, and it's just going to run in somebody else's environment. But a lot of vendors will like build into these APIs and like there's like a whole different cl- class of problems that aren't just dev environments. And I'm wondering if local stack is potentially like an on-prem replacement for like a single tenant, you know, production grade use of some of that, those APIs, or if you would just not recommend going that, down that road. Yeah, that's, uh, so we definitely get um, requests for running local stack uh, as a replacement for, for production workloads, not having to spin up resources in real AWS. We generally tend to not recommend using local stack for any productive workloads simply because it was not um, 
you know, designed for, for, for these kinds of things for performance reasons, for security reasons. Um, so it's also a bit of a, frankly, a bit of a liability question because we don't want to be, you know, responsible. We're not in the business of, of hosting production applications of, of customers. We do know though that there is a few installations out there which are hosted in some, for example, internal, um, intranets. Um, which are then used, like shared instances that are then used by all the CI workers, for example, because they can even speed up the CI builds even more if you just, you know, use a pre-installed, a pre-deployed local stack version that's running somewhere in the infrastructure and it's just shared. We're probably going to move more and more into uh, the area where local stack becomes, you know, really stable as, as a long-running container that you can have, you know, essentially almost like a, a replacement for production workloads, but, but currently we don't really recommend doing it, to be honest. Uh, so. That's totally fine. So, like, while it may work, it's not the supported workload. I mean, I, I totally understand that. Like, and yeah. and hear that. Um, I have a question though. So, like, I'm running it in my dev environment, but my team is like 20 or 30 engineers, and you know, we have a platform team. Is the is the recommended path for the platform team, you know, for orgs to manage a shared local stack installation, and then all the you know individual developers or development teams can use it, or is local stack really built so that it's actually like in my namespace, like every developer has their own installation of local stack. Mm. Yeah, so I think that the preferred way to use it is really um, literally everybody has their own local version that's running in, in their Docker environments. So we, we have a few use cases with customers who are essentially developing on um, remote online IDEs, right? Things like, you know, Gitpod or Cloud9 or these, these online IDEs. And there we have essentially an, an easy integration where you can spin up the local stack Docker container in the context of this, of this remote IDE, for example. So that's also possible. But generally speaking, like you get the most benefit um, from using local stack if you just literally run it on your local machine, because then you can leverage things like, um, so we have one feature that we call uh, the Lambda hot swapping or hot reloading, which basically means that you create a Lambda function and the, the regular process would be that you upload a zip file that contains the code of your Lambda and then it gets put into a three bucket and then it gets deployed and started and so on. But what we offer with this hot swapping is you can actually mount a local directory on your local host or your local machine into the Lambda container that's running in your Docker. So any change you make to the handler file is immediately reflected in the, in the next invocation of the Lambda and that allows you to do like even quicker iterations in your dev cycles, and, and you can leverage most of these these benefits really the best if you just if you just run it locally. It's pip install local stack, local stack start, and it basically starts up. So that's the preferred way. Got it. Yeah, I mean because this is the the shill section of of Cubeless today, I have to say that uh, we have a few customers that use uh, that use local stack, and actually we do as well at Shipyard, and it's really cool because you get these self contained. External services for every for every pull request, and it, it's really, really, really cool. Um, we have not done any of our own testing of our own EKS clusters, but I was just inspired by that, and that might be something that we will be playing with later this evening or tomorrow. But yeah, Mark, I can tell you as a local stack user at times or a peripheral user, if you will, my team uses it. It's really good at just kind of giving you uh, a look like a one to one for dev or one to one even for environments is a really good use case uh, for local stack. Um, one thing I will ask a quick question on as a user of local stack: Am I going to be able to ch- pick and choose which particular services I want with my Helm chart or uh, at Shipyard? Obviously, we use Docker Compose. 
but one thing I have noticed is that it, it can be a little bigger than I want it to if I'm just doing, let's say, SQS and S3 and, and Postgres. Um, and I just wanted to ask, how is there plans or are you already doing this? I don't know about it. How do you break these things up or is it all kind of just one big uh, image? Yeah, that's a um, very, very good question. So currently the, the way to distribute local stack is essentially this one monolithic image that has most of the code um, baked into it. So most of the services are, you know, if they're written in Python, it's just uh, some pip package that's available in the container. And then we also do things like, you know, lazily loading um, some dependencies. So even though you can actually run your workloads offline, there might be some connectivity required to lazily load some, some dependencies. But ultimately, it's still just this monolith currently. What we're now um, doing, and that's also something very excited about sort of the upcoming release that we're now working towards, is kind of opening up LocalStack as a platform where you can very easily plug in extensions. And um, like what we envision that over the next couple of weeks and months, even the, the core AWS services that we provide will essentially become just extensions and plugins in the local stack platform. And we're also going to demonstrate how you can build your, your custom image, for example, that has just the service that you need, for example, SQS, S3, as you mentioned, and you can build like a custom Docker image, like a stripped down version that only has what you need. Um, so we're investing a lot in the in the, the installation routine of services in the whole life cycle. Like, what are the the different stages and phases of the service life cycle as it gets loaded, as it sort of starts up, as the health point responds, as we're sort of um, loading and storing the persistent state. So those things are really helping us to uh, componentize it much more and open it up as a platform that's that's highly configurable then over time. I'm really excited to ask you about future plans for opening it up, but before we do that. We're recording this episode about a week or two before V1 goes live, uh, and we're probably going to not get it out for a few weeks after that. Can you just quickly tell us what is the big? What maybe you just told us, but what what, what is why, what's going on? Why is it going to V1? What's the big news? Tell us tell us what we can look for and what the big differences are. Yeah, so we're uh, super excited, and it will be very interesting um, to you know once this episode goes live to see whether we actually made our our, our timeline for. July 13th, which is going to be the um, is, is the planned uh, release date for the version 1.0 of LocalStack, and essentially what we what we go out with is a polished version um, that puts a lot of f- emphasis on like new features on the one on one side, polishing existing features, and also um, you know new documentation and also some rebranding of our website and and the whole you know corporate branding that comes with it. Um, in terms of the new features that we're to be providing, um, so there's a couple of highlights I can briefly talk about. So one is a new version of our CloudPods feature. So CloudPods, and again, in the Kubernetes context, it's not to be confused with uh, uh, with Kubernetes pods. For us, a CloudPod is basically a persistence mechanism. It's like a persistent snapshot of your instance that you can take while a local stack is running. And then you can store this state snapshot to, to a server and later on um, pull down that state and kind of you know create the exact same copy of the state that you had before. So it's almost like um, operating with Git objects where you do push and pull. You can now push and pull your your cloud pods, and and this and essentially also enables team collaboration where your team members can easily share the application state. So that is one of the features that we're super excited to have you know go out with with the polished version. The second piece is um, the extensions framework that I just mentioned. So we're basically demonstrating to the world out there that we 
are going to open up Locustack as a platform and sort of venturing out into new territory um, in addition to AWS, which we've, we've been now focusing on. So we're going to um, have some demonstrations of, of additional um, API emulators that you can easily plug in. Um, so for example, um, we're looking to emulate the, the Stripe API, like a very simplified version of Stripe. Uh, and then you can then develop your application to use AWS Locustack and also the Stripe emulator to develop your, uh, your apps locally. And really sort of hope to create some traction also in the community to create these, these extensions and ultimately you know, come up with some sort of like a registry of, of extensions that, that people can then exchange and easily share um, with each other. Hey everyone, go check out Local Stack. It, it hopefully came out V1. It hopefully came out July thirteenth. But also, this Cloud Pod thing, just real quick, is that a memory snapshot or is that just a volume snapshot? It is basically essentially a, a memory snapshot. Um, so by default, when you use LocalStack, state is ephemeral, ephemeral environments. I know that Benji, you're a, a big proponent of ephemeral environments. Um, so basically, you, you spin up your instance and you tear it down, restart, and you get basically a fresh state, no persistence by default. And, uh, and cloud pods is now really a mechanism to basically take a snapshot of the, of the current running instance. So should, you can then later on sort of inject it back into the instance and, and restart from the same, the same state. Wow. And this, sorry, just one point. This is also quite nice for if you want to do things like preceding some, some CI environments. Let's assume you have a, a CI build with some tests and you want to depend on some S3 buckets, some Cognito users and some Lambda functions. So you can just predefine one of these cloud pods. And inject them into the into the CI environment, and it's like basically up and running within a second and ready and available. A little while ago, you were talking about a CI process, and you in you were saying like I'm not exaggerating this. The CI process takes 30, 40, 50 minutes sometimes to complete testing end to end. I think it's worth pointing out that like that's not unusual really anymore. It's a problem. It's slow. It causes like it it it, it massively impacts velocity for most engineering teams. But like what you're doing. Cuts that down tremendously, so that I can actually take what you just described with these, these the, the the cloud pods. I can actually have a snapshot in in say I have a test that I need to run a migration from point you know like A to B, and instead of having to go through the entire process of spinning up point A, I can just be like boom, here it is, one or two seconds, and then actually test the part that I care about, which is that migration. Absolutely, yeah, totally spot on. So it's both kind of the like just the ability to iterate quickly with the with the local APIs, but in addition also having a way to to to, to prepare these these snapshots, these cloud pods, and that's also something that really I think distinguishes us from the, the real cloud providers because that's something that I, I would assume is very hard to achieve, right? Taking a an actual snapshot like with all the you know the entire account information and then sort of moving that to a different account. There's a few scripts for doing this, so that these uh, AWS clone scripts, for example, that are just pulling all the resources and recreating them. But then you have things like the identifiers are changing. And so it, it's very hard to almost impossible to have like a full exact replica of an environment. And we can easily do that because we just, you know, take a snapshot and you can just spin it up again. And, and, that's, and that's pretty powerful, we believe. So we've spent all this time talking about AWS. Are there plans or anything in the product right now to emulate other cloud providers? Uh, yeah, so that's a um, great, great point. So we have been working on an Azure version of LocalStack. Uh, so there's been a, an initial version with some beta program for a few selected users. Frankly, we, we still have quite some, some work to do on the AWS side. So we we're currently, um, at least the next quarter, Q3 of this year, focusing on AWS. But then, so we're now working a lot of like foundational 
piece of technology that we can then easily replicate and reuse for the next cloud provider that we're onboarding. So the whole sort of um, HTTP handling framework, the request response parsing, the state management, the persistence. So we definitely anticipate that sort of, you know, venturing out into the next um, sort of provider will be a smoother process. Also from what we've seen, the so we spend a lot of time looking at the the, the specifications of the APIs, and you can really see that AWS has grown quite organically over the years with the, the different services have vastly different types of specifications. Um, and Azure looks a bit more uh, homogeneous. So the, the services are quite comparable and you they're all based on open API spec. And, and so it seems like there's um, an opportunity for us to get that out much quicker than, than we did for, for AWS. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, you, you definitely don't want to build local stack n number of times from the ground up, where n is the number of cloud providers you support. So there's definitely some some uh, some reusability, hopefully there. Exactly. Yeah. So okay, so local stack is an open source project. I know that you guys have been heads down for a year making a, a company out of it. Talk to us just a little bit about how you monetize and and how you're going to be sustainable. Yeah, sure, absolutely. So um, we're basically a um, very much open open source um, first driven company. So we have a very strong footprint in the open source. Um, the community version ha- is very powerful, has a lot of uh, services, like the core services that most users are using. And we also contribute a lot to upstream projects that, that we depend on and we, we use in our in our in our ecosystem. Um, and sort of that's the open source part. And we get a lot of traction um, from sort of the open source users. So our GitHub repository is quite popular with something like 40, 40k stars. And then people usually, the, the upgrade path is usually that people um, are discovering, you know, maybe some, some API or some features missing in the, in the community version. And then they can upgrade to Pro, which is kind of our first commercial tier. And we then have actually two more tiers. One is called Team, which is sort of um, the co- focuses on collaboration features and the cloud pods that I just mentioned before. And then we also have an enterprise feature, which is or an enterprise tier, which is um, f- for more high touch customers, larger organizations who, for example, need customizations of things like an offline image of local stack or you know special customization with um, integration with their um, auth system, SSO, and so on. But yeah, so basically, this is what, what the, the model currently looks like. Um, do get a lot of requests from for, for the pro version and, and, and team and, and upwards. Um, so it seems like there's definitely a demand for this. And, and we're also trying to feed um, more and more of the innovation that we do in the pro version back into, into the community version to be open source because we really see that um, over time, we really want to focus on this on the platform aspect and opening up local stack really as a as the platform that enables you know integrating a lot of these different extensions that people can actually contribute as well. That makes sense, you know, with the pro team and, and enterprise version, focusing on like collaboration features and some of the, you know, custom stuff you've built on top of it. Do you ever differentiate the tiers based on AWS emulations, emulated services? You know, like for example, would you ever have some services that AWS offers only available in your pro extensions or, or team version? Or would you like always keep those in the open source version? Yeah, so that's actually what's happening already today. That, that some of the services which we know are a bit more maintenance, and we put quite some some effort into into maintaining them. Things like Athena with this whole big data ecosystem, or also Cognito and a few others. Um, so those services are actually exclusively only available in the uh, in the pro version and, and above. And for community, we have a set of I think it's by now thirty plus services, which are really sort of the the core services that most serverless projects will use for. You know, individuals or smaller teams, and then once they need something that's a bit more specialized, um, they happily usually upgrade to pro and, and, and the teams uh, the teams about it. 
Sounds like some pretty smart PLG growth there for yeah for those. I've, I've learned a lot about product led growth these days. Yeah, right. Definitely. But that's really cool to to see it working um, and to see an open core project like Local Stack growing. So you mentioned that they've got you 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 folks have forty thousand GitHub stars. That's pretty big. Talk to us a little bit about the community. Tell us like kind of where it started and and when you started to see kind of it really take off. I mean, forty k stars is one of the bigger projects I know about. Not that stars are the best measurement necessarily, but but tell us about the community. Tell us like kind of how it started, and then also you know what I'd love to hear is uh, I know you guys are growing as a, as a company, um, and it seems like you've maybe recruited some some folks from that community. And I think that's really interesting for for our listeners to hear about how all that went down. So just talk a little bit about community, um, how it started, and, and where you started to really see ramp and growth, and and what you've done to cultivate such a vibrant community. Yeah, absolutely. So um, essentially, the, the early days, um, I think it's all started with some some hacker news posts that, that we put out there. Hey, there's we put out this uh, this new idea of of a local emulator for AWS services, and we put it on hacker news, and it just got some initial traction. And I think um, back in 2017 or so, um, some folks from AWS actually um, uh, came across this, and I think Jeff Barr, the chief evangelist uh, from AWS, he, he put out a tweet um, on Twitter, and that basically uh, overnight got us. I don't know, like three, four K stars, um, new stargazers on, on the repository. And that really sort of was the, the point in time when we really started to, to take off quite, quite dramatically. So we got a lot of contributions from the community. Um, so people started creating issues, a lot of, um, you know, samples, reproducible cases, started, you know, contributing pull requests. We've actually been in, in touch with a few, um, companies over time that have like entire teams developer experience teams that are really whose whose main purpose is to to provide a dev environment is based on local stack to really provide a very smooth experience. Um, so we got a lot of um, uh, nice contribut- contributors there, and we're now also launching um, uh, some um, community events, and webinars where we actually talk about the usage, what are the best practices, how to use local stack. We also want to engage more and more with the community through our discords um, uh, forum page. So we have discuss.localstack.cloud, which we just recently launched, where people can make um, feature requests and helps us prioritize also, you know, what you know, which which are the features we should be uh, focusing on. So yeah, we definitely sort of. Um, Learning a lot from the, from the community. That's um, our our daily bread and butter. Also, a fairly active Slack channel um, with with quite a few um, active members in there. Um, so it's kind of really like that, that's also very enjoyable about the, the type of work we do. Is like it's from developers for developers. We understand their problems and pain points quite well, and and it's really you know it's very nice to work with this with this kind of um, uh, customers because you just know what the problems are and how you can help them. So t- tell us a little bit about how you've built out the team, though. I'm going to follow up on that one because I think it's really interesting. Yeah. Tell us about the people that have joined you and and where the uh, few of them, not anything in particular, but it seems like they came from the community itself. Is that correct or am I misunderstanding? Definitely a partially from the community. So we just um, sort of realized that a few people who are really active in the, in the uh, in the repository, we, we started connecting with them and and got a few of them on board uh, in the early days of local stack. Now, sort of in the last um, let's say year or so, where we've been a bit more focused on really sort of growing a team um, of engineers, we've also worked in our own 
networks and, and kind of really got a few people on board which is from from our extended networks but yeah definitely there's, there's oftentimes people from the community which is reaching out and interested in making contributions talk about local stack or even host some webinars for example like with with Anton Bobenko recently with the with the Terraform modules uh, so it's really nice this, this this way of of interacting with folks and just also reaching out it's usually a, a quite a nice conversation opener because a lot of people are aware of local stack, maybe have used it in the past, have, you know, gained some experiences. And then we try to follow up. Hey, have you used it recently? We actually have a, a team behind it, a company and, you know, come join us. Um, so yeah, that's definitely quite helpful. It's really cool to, to, to talk, to talk to you about this because it seems like this is kind of like the ideal open source journey that you guys have been on. And it seems like it's really exciting. And, you know this new pluggable stuff that you guys are working on is, is very exciting to me. Um, I can see, obviously, I have a few biases here about uh, about running local environments and, and ephemeral environments, but it's super exciting. Let me ask you this question: If I wanted to start contributing, what's the best place to to start? If I wanted to be a contributor, where where should I go? Is that you mentioned? There's webinars. Is there like a monthly meeting or like what's the best way to do this? Yeah, sure. So we have a, a newsletter that people can, can sign up to and we have a Slack channel where we also put out announcements about upcoming uh, webinars and community events. So I think we hosted the last one a couple of months ago, I believe it was in, in, in May, uh, and we're going to host one after the release, basically. So um, we want to establish a cadence of every two months or so, getting together with community and, and just learning from them having some presentations, use cases, learning how, how people are actually using local stack in different organizations, um, what the limits are, and also from the, the contribution aspect. So we've been doing a lot of refactoring of the code base in the last six months or so, where we've really prepared it for you know more scale, uh, growing the team, and also enabling community contributions in an easier fashion. Um, so it's now much more sort of standardized in terms of how you can plug in a new service provider. Um, so it's a fairly nicely um, laid out and documented process, how you can do that. And especially with the extensions framework that we're now um, getting in place, I think this will be another boost sort of to make contributions even even easier and, and getting, getting started with local stack from a dev perspective, really. Um, so we definitely want to focus more on, on, on this experience there. Okay, so it's an open source project. Uh, talk to us a little bit about the license that it, it uses and what you, what you guys are doing. And is there any plans to change that? Are you happy with it? It was a good choice to start with, and, and just tell us a little about your license choice. Yeah, sure. So we're using a, an Apache 2.0 license, so fairly, fairly standard and, and quite popular in the community. It's a commercially friendly license, so um, you know, as opposed to some other license models like the the, the GPL or the licenses, which are very restrictive in terms of how you can use the software. We, we deliberately chose a license that is, um, you know, very open and, and, and also commercially friendly for other people to use local stack in different settings. So there's no real restrictions in, in terms of how it can be used, re redistributed and, and, and extended. And then we also obviously depend on a few, um, you know, third party um, systems that are also integrated with local stack. Um, and we also there obviously make sure that they are have a, a license that's, that complies with, with what we do. Um, so typically BSD or Apache are kind of the, the main license we look for. So we don't intend to, to change that. Um, I think it's been, been working well. Um, we also, if you've been following some, some the open source projects, uh, like if you look at Elasticsearch, for example, or others who had this, this issue that you know, basically their software started being being hosted by large cloud providers and then they had to change the licensing model. I don't think that's necessarily the case for us because um, if somebody 
came along and, and started a business around hosting local stack, they would basically compete with AWS and not with us. So I don't think there's a big, <laughs> a big uh, concern there. So yeah, we just want to have a very open ecosystem and, and make sure that we just maximize the adoption of local stack. So that's really what we're after. Um, also as a as a company, we just want to make sure that it gets out there, and we establish this, this notion that you know local development is possible because there's still a lot of, let's say, um, opinion making to be made in the in the community also because there's a few people who are um, a bit skeptical: is it impossible? What are the limitations and so on? And we we demonstrate on a daily basis that it's possible and it's even like superior in a lot of cases rather than you know using the real cloud environment. And that's really our our mission, and we want to we want to push forward. Yeah, and, and Valdemir, like I think you know, you're right when you talk about like Elastic, or you know, maybe hit a, a little bit closer to home with you know MinIO, um, you know, was emulating S3 APIs, and they changed their license, and so a lot of folks start to look at you know how do we get some assurance that we're going to be able to use this long term? And there's foundations that exist, right? Apache Foundation. That we obviously you know this this podcast and, and Benji and I both work a lot closer with the Kubernetes ecosystem and CNCF Foundation. Have you ever? Given any thoughts about making local stack an active open source project in one of these foundations so that you know larger organizations who might have been burned by other license changes in the past, you know, not that they're not trusting you, but like they don't have to completely just take your word for it. They have the foundation that that's actually exists to ensure that the license is going to be consistent and they're going to be able to continue to use it. And there's a ongoing community support if if something happens. Yeah, that's actually a very good point. So we, we definitely look into, um, you know, projects like CNCF and, and see how we could fit into, into the landscape. It's, it's very exciting to, um, essentially uh, observe what's happening there in the space. And there's so many fantastic projects in, in, you know, under the umbrella of, of CNCF and also Apache and others. So far, it's been mostly a, I guess, priority prioritization, um, problem that we haven't had too much time to look into it. But I think over time, as we are sort of, you know, as the adoption of local stack grows and these requests will be more sort of frequent coming, especially from larger players in the space, I think that's definitely something we'd be considering. One thing I'm like I'm vaguely familiar with with CNCF, not not all the parts of it, but it seems to me that a lot of it is based on like essentially um, cloud agnostic, like cross cloud sort of stacks. And currently, we're so much tied to AWS that I think we also need to demonstrate this next iteration of, of opening up the platform um, for other cloud providers. And I think that would be a great time to think about, you know, under which umbrella could we basically fit uh, the best. Yeah, I mean, I think that's 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 great. I think that's that's a good fair point, and also like you know, being super pragmatic about you know not shutting the door on it, but saying like, look, if the demand is there in the future and it becomes a priority, like you're willing to to entertain that and have that conversation seriously and and really consider it. I think that's that's a great answer. Absolutely. I just want to meet you at KubeCon, so that's my that's my priority. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. All right. Well, Valdemir, you had mentioned there's some other cool features coming in V1, and we're not even going to release this until after V1 happens. So maybe give us a hint about a few more. Uh, just give us a few more tidbits of exciting things coming in V1. Yes, absolutely. So um, one of the things we've been working on is a new um, IAM policy um, enforcement engine. So Currently, what's happening if you run local stack, um, the default configuration is that it's basically a permit all system. So all the API calls are permitted. You're basically like a root user that can do like all the API calls on the emulated APIs. So root, quote unquote, uh, like a root AWS user. Now, what we're now introducing is an actual IAM enforcement layer where um, we actually check um, 
um, very detailed policies and you can define your IAM roles, IAM users. Like every request is being made under is an, either an assumed role or a user or an actual role. And we have very fine-grained control over sort of um, enforcing these, these IAM policies then. Because that's one of the feedbacks that we got from, from our users was that, hey, this, this local iterations are great. Sometimes they're hitting a bit of, um, you know, some barrier once they once they actually start deploying to the real cloud because you then get faced with all these, you know, IAM uh, issues essentially, right? Where things, you don't have access, your, your Lambda function cannot access your S3 bucket or, or other things. And that's something we're really excited about to also provide an emulation layer. And in addition, we actually also take it from the other side and we uh, provide, we're working on a, a mechanism to allow you to define policy, record IAM policies based on the API calls that you're making. So that is a bit like observing what the, the user is, is the, the, the types of requests the user is making, and then kind of looking at the requests and then coming up with policies that are like an exact match for your use case. So we're actually venturing in some of these like security um, simulation aspects even, right? So you can actually use this and iterate quite quickly with the IAM enforcement uh, engine. The other part that's a bit more of a technicality, but we also introducing um, what we call multi-account. Um, so previously, um, most of the requests were basically handled under one AWS account, just uh, you know, uh, some, some synthetic ID. And now you can actually really sort of create new accounts in your local stack instance and do like cross-account requests. So that's another quite exciting feature that um, makes it even more realistic and like even increases the parity with AWS even further because you now have these, these multi-account features basically. I mean, just that I am like figure outer to me seems like a product in and of itself. So figure outer. <laughs> actually, that is the code name of something that we're working on at Shipyard is the figure outer. So I shouldn't be telling everyone that, but that's fine. But yeah, I love figure outers. That by itself sounds like an amazing product, just standalone. Um, that's really exciting. And all that stuff is going to be available in the community edition. Uh, so partially community, partially uh, in the pro version. So, so IAM, as you mentioned, is almost like a, a separate product that we're, we're going to release for, for the pro version. Um, a lot of the other things that we talked about, though, are sort of available for the community version. We also introduced a new um, file system hierarchy. So basically, previously, when you when you start up LocalStack, you had to configure a bunch of like mount points and, and other configuration flags. And this is now much simplified. So um, we basically manage a, um, a volume for you where all the persistent state gets stored. Um, so just making it much more like a seamless experience in terms of just getting started with without any hassle. And then also what I mentioned before, this, this parity uh, testing framework, we really roll it out to all the different services that we have to really make sure that we have like the highest parity um, that we can, that we can uh, achieve. And also we're going to publish the actual um, metrics of that. So you will basically have a website where you can then see, you know, this API with, you know, this service with these API methods has this and this sort of uh, coverage in, in our tests. So it's like much more detailed overview for, for our users in terms of what's supported and what we maybe just still working on. Well, that's exciting. Um, I'm gonna. I'm. I haven't dove into to local stack a little bit personally in a little while, and I and there's a few things I'm gonna be looking at very soon. Um, all right. Well, this has been great, Valdemir. Uh, really appreciate the time and really cool project. Uh, really looking forward to seeing where this goes, and I also look forward to having you back in a year and telling us uh, about all the other clouds and all the other services and all this other emulation and. And you know, just speeding up our CI pipelines because that is a real problem. Uh, as Mark said, it's yeah, forty-five minutes is not an exaggeration. I I know, I know multiple companies that have three five-hour 
CI problem. So if you're having that problem, you should check out Local Stack. Um, and in general, just a pretty cool uh, open source project. So thank you so much for for coming on, um, and thank you uh, for for contributing to the community and and leading it as such a pretty cool project. Yeah, it's been great. So thanks so much for having me, and also looking forward to reconnecting in a year from now and see what we've achieved in the meantime. So and check it out, Local Stack, and yeah, looking forward to getting your contributions. Thanks for having us here. That's all we have time for today. If you're interested in being a guest on this show, or if you would like to suggest a topic, head over to kubelist.com. I'm Mark Campbell, CTO at Replicated, where we enable cloud-native software vendors to operationalize and scale the distribution of their modern on-prem applications to their largest enterprise customers. Check us out at replicated.com. My co-host is Benji DeGroote, CEO at Shipyard, where they enable isolated ephemeral environments on every code change for companies of all sizes. Check them out at shipyard.build. This show is brought to you by Heavybit, the leading investor in developer-first startups. For more information, visit heavybit.com. And finally, don't forget to sign up for the Kublist weekly newsletter and read previous issues at kublist.com.